0: Last Sunday, if you remember, we were in the book of Jeremiah chapter 1. Um, we looked at the fact that God has a plan for every one of our lives. God did not put you here by accident. You didn't come by accident no matter the circumstances that got you on this planet. God has a designed purpose for your life. It's why he put you here. Last week, we looked in Jeremiah chapter 1. Our main text, we used verse number 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations, because God is no respecter of persons. That means what God did for one, God does for all. And we looked last week, if God did that for Jeremiah, then God does that for you and I. Let me ask, you, how many of you would like to just be happy in this life? in this life? I realize we're going to be happy for all of eternity. I get that, but I don't plan on waiting to be happy till I get to heaven. I want to be happy now. I want to go ahead and be practiced up when I get there. How many would like to be successful in this life, to consider this to be a successful life? Well, success can be measured in a lot of ways. If you're looking to be financially successful, well, that's kind of up to you. You'll struggle. But successful to me would be making sure that my entire family and as many of my friends as possible go to heaven with me when I go. That, that would be to me a, defini- a definition of success. But I don't believe there's any way to be truly happy or completely successful in this life without discovering God's plan for your life. We looked last week at a message entitled, That God Made You to Be You. This morning I want to look at part two, God Made You to Be His. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 5, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. God, thank you for this book. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your countless, many wonderful, undeserved blessings that you freely pour out on us. God, I pray you bless this time. I ask you to speak to us, your children, God. I ask you to take this word and make it real and do what only the Holy Spirit can do and speak to everybody in this place individually that we might learn something about your word, that we might find that place called the center of your perfect will. God, the the plan that is designed for our life, help us, God, to be that plan. We love you, thank you, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Places are very important. God created places before he created man. Ever since that day, he's been putting man in places. Many of you, you're from LaGrange. You've been here your whole life. This is LaGrange, Hogan'sville. You've never really gotten outside of this. But for many others of us, we are in LaGrange because we moved to LaGrange. But we moved to LaGrange because our steps were ordered by God. LaGrange is the place where God moved many of us. He he put us here. We're not here by some accident. It's not just some decision that we made, although at the time I thought it was. Anybody say amen? I thought it was just something we were trying to decide. But God has a perfect plan, and not only does he have a perfect plan, but he has the place where his plans will be fulfilled in our lives. If places weren't important, then God would have never told Abraham to leave thy father's house And go into a land that I will show thee. If places weren't important, God would have never told Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. I got something for you to do down there. If places weren't important, Ruth would have stayed in Moab. If places weren't important, Joseph would have never ended up in in slavery. He would have never ended up over here in the temple under the Pharaoh if places were not important. God put them in certain places. Esther was the most beautiful woman in 127 provinces. If places were not important, God would not have had the king hold a beauty contest so that she winds up in the palace of Shushan in order to save God's people if places were not important. Murdoch in the books that I made reference to last week that I'm still leaning towards this week, he says you can't work at the wrong job for the wrong boss for 40 hours a week and wonder why two hours a week of church does nothing to change your life. God may can bless you anywhere, but God will bless you when you are in the place where God has purposed for you to be with His will for your life. Being in the right place at the right time is important. You can look all throughout the Word of God. I just mentioned Joseph. Joseph had to be in the right place at the right time in order for the king to see him so that he winds up in the Pharaoh's palace even if it meant he had to become a slave to get there. Ruth had to be in the field of Boaz in the right place at the right time to be seen of him so that we might get what we got even though it meant her husband had to die to get her there. Those when Jesus walked on this earth that were sick in order to be healed, they had to be in the right place at the right time as Jesus passed by, even though it meant they had to be sick. You you think about the Pharaoh's daughter in the story of Moses. She had to be down by that running river. She had to be at the right place. At the right time, by the right patch of bulrush, where the baby Moses just happened to be hidden, where he just happened to have to cry out at the exact time, even though she could have had the servants make her a hot bath up in her own house. Places are not an accident. Places are designed by God, even though it may have taken some painful situations to get you in the place where you are. Somebody said amen. You're not at Faith Baptist Church by accident. God has orchestrated the steps of your life to land you here on this day. When Robert and I moved to LaGrange in 1986, I thought we moved here for two reasons. One, I thought we could have more for less. We were from Fayetteville. Land was so ridiculously high back then. Peachtree City was booming. You could buy five acres to one easy down here, and the taxes were cheaper. That was a long time ago. And so we bought enough and we could afford it, and now we can't afford the taxes on it. One of the reasons, everybody ever, if you ever look back at your own life, sometimes it's good to look back and see where God has directed your steps for you to get where you are. One of the reasons that we are where we are is back in the day, I fished pro circuit bass tournaments. And my dad would tell you, two of my favorite lakes was Lake Oconee and West Point. And if there was a tournament on those two, I was going to fish them because that was my best chance to win because I knew those two lakes better than any. Looking back on my life, everything says I would have lived on Lake Oconee. Number one, I've wanted to live on the lake my whole life. West Point says, "Here you can live on our lake, but we're going to keep you 300 foot from the water all the way around it because it's a core lake." But at Oconee, you can cut grass right down to it. You can put your back door and step out into the water if you want to. Everything about that says I would have went to Oconee. My whole life we hunted in Greensboro, Georgia. We stayed on that side. Everything we did was around Lake Oconee. So, honestly, if you look at it, it seems like I would have ended up on Lake Oconee, but I didn't. I ended up at West Point Lake. See, I don't see those things as an accident. I see even back then, before we really even knew we were following the hand of God, we were still being directed by the hand of God. Anybody say amen? We got to LaGrange, and we drove 55 miles one way to church for nine years. We loved our church, and we loved where we are at. But after nine years, God said, it's time for you to move your family to a church in LaGrange. We didn't leave because we were mad. We didn't leave because we didn't like the music. We didn't leave because somebody got our... Undergarments ruffled up. We didn't leave because somebody did something way we didn't like. We didn't leave because the parade float wasn't decorated the way we thought it should be. We didn't leave because of any kind. We loved our church. We left our church because God said, "I got somewhere I need you to go." And I've told you the story. We visited right over here, halfway up the aisle, right hand side, looking up. We sat down right there on the edge. Brother Charles Chapman said, "Stand up, brother. Tell us who you are and tell us where you're from." Well, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> So I stood up, I introduced my wife, told them who we were. God told me on that day, this is where you belong. And so I did what every good, hard-headed Baptist does, and next week we went to Rosemont, and then we went to First Baptist on the square, and then we went to Franklin Road, and we went to churches all over LaGrange. Can I tell you something? They're all great churches, and they all have a great purpose, and they all had great pastors, but we got nothing out of none of them. You know why I was in the wrong place. I wasn't supposed to be there. I was just going looking. So finally, one Saturday night, Robin says, where are we going to church in the morning? I said, I think we're going to go back to New Hope. She's like, oh, can we? I said, yeah, man, I mean, that'd be good. So we got to New Hope. We're at Fayetteville. We're sitting up there, that big old 250 choir singing, the 100s piece orchestra down here playing. Man, they got through. Ike Riker's going to preach. I'm just so excited. We're back home. I'm having the best time until all of a sudden, like when God said, Elijah, what doest thou here, Elijah. I'm just getting ready to have myself a time. And God says, what are you doing here? This was my answer. God, I just needed to be fed. I've been going to all these churches, and I ain't been getting it out of the choir. I ain't been getting it out of the preachers. I, I just haven't been getting it. God, I just needed to be fed. He said, when you go to the place where I told you to go, you'll be fed. You haven't been getting anything because you've been going to the wrong place. The next Sunday, we join this church. God has a designed place for each and every one of us to live in the place is just as important as the assignment. Location is an important piece of what God has designed us to do. You don't have to fully understand why you are where you are. You just have to be at the place where God wants you to be. You think about when God told Philip to go down the road to the south toward Gaza. So you're going to leave on this road that goes from Jerusalem down toward Gaza. But the Bible says it was a desert place. Who wants to go into the desert? Who wants to go down there? But had he not gone, he would have never seen the Ethiopian on the chariot. And he would have never had the opportunity to lead him to the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about seasons in life. We go through all kinds of seasons in life. Some of you right now. God is calling you to do something in your life. Some of you right now, you, you're searching, you're looking, you, you're, you're feeling the ground, you're doing everything you can trying to find. You don't know exactly what, you don't know exactly when, you don't know exactly where. All you know is that God wants you to do something and you're ready to do it, but you don't know what to do yet. That's because you're in a season of preparation. The quality of your preparation will be determined by the quality of your performance. you you got to be prepared before you can perform, amen? So God does a quality preparation before he'll send you out and look for a quality performance out of you. Jim Showers, I like what he said last week. He said that he prayed to be a missionary. God guy said he in church, want to be a missionary, and he said he prayed for years um, for God to let him be a missionary. God, and God never would. Finally, after several years, God calls him into the mission field. But he says, I understand it now. I get it then, I got saved, I felt like God wanted me to do something, I'm ready to go. I'm praying, God, will you send me out? He said, I wasn't ready to go. I wasn't ready then, it took some years of training, it took some time to get me ready. you look in here, it took Moses 80 years of training before God sent him to deliver his people. 40 years of training as an Egyptian because they had to go back to Egypt. 40 years of being trained as a shepherd because they had to put up with a whole bunch of whining people for 40 years. Everything that God does has reason. Even Jesus himself spent 30 years in preparation for three-and-a-half-year ministry. Too many times today, I get that we want to be obedient, and you do, and obedience is the key factor here, and we'll look at it in a minute. But, But too many times, we want to just jump in and do the ministry. You're not ready yet. We want to just jump in and go ahead and begin doing what it is that we want to do. We don't want to have to wait on all the preparation time. Trust me, I know it. My wife knows. I can tell you I was miserable. I waited for a lot of years not even knowing what I was waiting on. But I'm thanking God I didn't miss it. I'm thanking God that I ended up in LaGrange. I'm thanking God I ended up at Faith Baptist Church. I was at this church for 19 years. And all of a sudden you're pastor of the church. I couldn't help but look it up. So I got my little card out. In 19 years, the number 19 represents faith in the Word of God. I thought, man, how amazing is that? It's crazy. Crazy how God does stuff. But too many times we want to just go on into the ministry. We just want to go on into doing what we're doing. Listen, you were not born prepared. You must become prepared. You were born with an assignment. You were born with a purpose, but you weren't born fully mature and ready to do that. You've heard the old saying that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. Amen? I don't know who said it, but somebody said it. It's been repeated a lot of times. But God is the only one who knows what your design purpose is, and God is the only one that can prepare you for it. Murdoch says um, in his book, he talks about the, the karate kid. Everybody watch the karate kid? Anybody watch the movie? You watch Daniel? Daniel-san. Yeah, Daniel-san. You know karate. So he goes to Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi says, you learn karate. So he's teaching him. Y'all know the deal. He washes the cars and he drives the cars and wax on and wax off. And you've seen the movie. So he gets all bent out of shape. He goes through all this time and all. Then he has to do the fence. Yeah. He's going through all this stuff. Finally, Daniel's son had all Daniel's son can take. Daniel's son said, you can have it. I came here to learn karate. I, I wanted to learn some stuff. All you're doing is put me out doing all your chores, doing stuff. And, and also Mr. Miyagi stops him. And he begins to show him the things that he's learned. Training, God knows what he's doing. Sometimes it takes time. You may not understand the process, but God does. You may not understand why God has you painting the fence a certain way. You may not understand wax on, wax off. Why, why Mr. Miyagi said, "No, no, 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 wax on. God's trying to get you to get it right. God is training us. He is preparing us for some stuff. And through it all, God is teaching us to have patience. You are being perfected for what God has designed you to do. Patience can be as powerful as your faith can. Psalms 46.10, God said, be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes being still is a hard thing. But sometimes, in order to be in the center of God's perfect will, you just got to be still. Patience is a force that makes faith productive. Waiting on God is not wasted time. It's training time. It reveals patience. It's a learning season. God is doing something in our lives. Sometimes we just can't see it. But God is working on something. How, How many of you, I'll go ahead and raise my hand and tell you this to me. How many of you would say I? Hate to wait. I. Corey said, Amen, Daddy. First time he ever raised his hand, said, Amen in the church. <laughs> so, in the mobile home business, trucks pull out at 5. If you get there at 5.010 oh, seconds, you just lost a day's work because the trucks are gone. I'm paying you to work today. I ain't going to wait on you. I'll go ahead and tell you. Anybody hate to wait. I, I, I think I may have, if I didn't develop the principle, I was there on the day it was developed. I hate to wait. Waiting on God is just as difficult. We live in this microwave society where we fly around the world in a few hours. We got microwaves that pop up stuff. I don't like waiting. Waiting on God can be very difficult. But if we truly are waiting on God, then the only thing that hates waiting is the flesh. That means if we're waiting on God, waiting causes the flesh to die. God is doing something in us. He is moving some stuff out of the way that's got to go in order for you to get to where you're going. James says, chapter 1, verse 3, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 21, This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord." Think about the patience of God. I talked about last week how God is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Think about through the patience of God, think about the millions of people over the years who have been saved because of the patience of God, including me. Anybody willing to say that God was very patient with me? God waited on me a long time. God never gave up on me. He just kept reaching out to me. He just kept drawing me. He just kept sending people my way, giving me an opportunity to be saved. The patience of God has resulted in millions of people being saved. God is a miracle-working God. When you get ahead of God, you rob Him of the opportunity to reveal His power in your life. You can never see the power of God if you keep walking ahead of God. God's looking to do something. He's promised that He loves you. He's promised that He's created you. He's promised that He has a plan for your life, but you must wait on God. Anything done of your own will never produce anything fruitful. You remember God promised Abraham that he'd have a son. You're going to have a son in your old age. He'll be as the sands of the seashore, as the the stars of the heaven, innumerable. He's going to have this multitude of children. He'll be the father of many nations. Abraham got tired of waiting. God said I was going to have a son. My wife's barren. I've proven that over and over for the years. God just needs a little help. That's all God needs. Hagar, come on in here a minute. So he calls in the handmaid, Hagar, and he produces a son, named his name Ishmael. He tried to help God out, and this world today is still troubled by the descendants of Ishmael. All that little Middle East crowd in Iran and all those guys, All that's a descendant of an illegitimate that never should have been there in the first place. If Abraham could tell us now, he's screaming through this book this morning, he's saying, wait on God. Wait on God. Don't have an Ishmael in your life. Wait on God. God's promise is faithful. He'll do what he said in his own time. You don't need an Ishmael, and God doesn't need your help. All he needs is your faithfulness to wait on him. Faithful is he who calleth you who also will do it. Right, brother? So pastors, that's Pastor Charles' favorite verse. Being obedient to the will of God not only requires doing the right thing, but it requires the right thing at the right time. Your ministry will cost you time. You'll have to put time into what you're doing, but waiting on God produces strength. You know, it takes time to build a reputation. It takes that long to ruin it. It takes time to build a financial stability for your family. It takes time to study and to learn things from God. It takes time to go through some storms. It takes time to go through some troubles. It takes time to go through some trials. But you have to go through those things to learn how to trust God unconditionally. Because in your ministry, you're going to go through more storms. And you're going to sit with people that are going through storms. How can you assure them that God's enough to get them through theirs if he hadn't already gotten you through yours? It takes time to go through some things. Time isn't something you can save. You can save money. You can save antiques. You can't save time. Time is the gift of God. What you do with every minute of every day is what you're doing in exchange for the gift that God has given you. The fact this is very minute, you're deciding whether to waste your time or use your time. You can waste your time texting on the phone. You can waste your time on Facebook. You can waste your time sitting there looking on Google, or you can spend your time trying to learn something from the Word of God. But right now is the only minute that you can live in. You can't live in the future, and you can't relive the past. The past is already gone. Whatever you did with that minute is gone. The future is not yours yet. When you can actually live in it, it's now called the present. You can't live in the future. Right now is the only time that you have. You have to make every minute count as every minute comes. This is the only time in which you can actually accomplish something. Time is important. While we're on patience and time, let's go ahead and give you this. God's plan for your life will not be revealed all at one time. Your purpose will be revealed by God one piece at a time. God's not going to hand you this entire puzzle that's been worked out and all the pieces are in with all the picture, and you have this full puzzle of everything that God wants you to know. God is going to hand you one piece to the puzzle, and then he's going to help you figure out where that piece goes in that puzzle. The puzzle isn't complete until the day you see the face of Jesus. Every day of your life, he will be handing you a piece to the puzzle of your life to work on putting that together. You're not going to receive this full set of plans and God's not going to sit down and go over all the plans he's just going to give you piece by piece one line at a time because God is looking for a daily exchange with you God is looking for a daily relationship he's not looking to give you the plan and say here it is you got 40 years of life left go live it I'll see you in 40 years God is looking for you to get up every single day of your life and say what about today God what's my plan today God what do you want me to do today, God? He's looking for a daily relationship, an hourly dependency, a continual relationship between you and Him, between Him and you. Every instruction has a purpose. None of them's too small, none of them's too big. You've heard me say a lot of times big opportunities may come along once in a lifetime, but small opportunities come along every day. You may wish you had more pieces to the puzzle right now. Somebody's saying amen. You may wish you knew a little bit more about everything that God wants you to do and you wish you had more pieces to the puzzle. But God's method of measuring our faith is step by step, one step at a time. Think about this one. Back again to our society, we've we, we got space travel and you can fly from here to there and, and you fly around this country and, in no time at all. But there is no place, if you'll stand in the arms of God, spend a daily relationship on your knees with God, talk to God continually, let him hand you piece by piece. There is no place that you cannot get to if you're, not, if you're willing to take enough small steps to get there. We just want to skip all the steps. But if you skip the steps, you lose the portion of who you got to be when you get here. Amen? Receiving God's plan is no different than the children of Israel. They were out in the wilderness. Every day the manna was there. Every morning was fresh and new. Every day they had to go out and seek God's plan for that day. They had to go out and get it. The only time they could get enough for two days was on the sixth day because God wanted them to get enough on that day because on the seventh day he wanted them to remember a time of worship and praise. So that's the only time they could get to. The same is true with you and I. Every morning we have to go into that daily bread. Every morning is a day to get up and do something fresh and new. Every morning is a time to spend some alone time with God to receive our instructions. Gather up the daily bread. It is impossible to get all of the plans for an entire year tomorrow morning. God requires a relationship today. If Jesus tarries, God will require a relationship Monday. If Jesus tarries, God will require a relationship Tuesday. If Jesus tarries, God will require a relationship Wednesday. Everybody with me? If you're walking down the street, God shows you somebody, you see somebody. It doesn't matter who they are. I mean, somebody think they need something. God tells you to go give them a track. God tells you to go witness to them. God tells you to go give them some food. God tells you to go give them some money. I don't know. You see a person, God tells you to go do something. What to do is no longer your decision. What to do has already been given to you. The only decision you have is obedience. Will I do what God wants me to do? That is how God orchestrates our steps every single day. What you do first will determine what God does next. Do I need to say that again? I preached a message similar to that. The title wasn't even too far off of that a while back. What you do first will determine what God will do next. We're not qualified for the next purpose until we've completed the one where we are. You and I can never progress beyond the last point of disobedience. You can't disobey God here and get to the next step. You can't can't get to that step until you... That's why I say baptism is so important. It is the first commandment of God after salvation. You can't just skip steps and find yourself where you want to be in God's economy. You have to fulfill the steps as God gives them to us. If you try to ignore the first step or if you try to run from the first step, it may bring about some painful experiences. God will not be ignored. If you don't believe that, try reading Jonah. No is not an answer that you get to use with God very often. Thank God for long-suffering. Amen. God is not going to overlook any act of defiance from his children. You tell your child, hey, go do this. No. What do you think, Corey? Yeah. Never even tried it. He said, that's obvious. Matter of fact, neither did I. (laughs) That's obvious. I'm still here. (laughs) No is not an answer. God may allow some painful experiences in your life, but He will get you where He designed you to be. Pain forces you to look into the Word of God. Pain forces you to seek out His will. Pain forces you to withdraw from worldly things. Pain forces you to pray. Pain forces you to seek a daily relationship with God. Pain forces you to walk away from worldly things. Pain forces you to look back on your life and find out where did I go wrong so that I can go there and get back on track. Pain forces you to listen to God's instructions. So God may have to use some pain sometimes. I know I preached a message on this, but I'll give it to you again because I remembered it from when I preached it. The pain is not there to destroy you. It is there to develop you. God's doing something. I got a few more minutes. Y'all good for one more? I don't know information overload, but I want to give you one more. When you say yes to the will of God, and I'll go ahead and tell you, there's somebody that's unsaved that was coming with somebody that is saved, They say they don't come back to this church because I preach this way. I'm not going to stop preaching this way. They said there's too many times you talk about what can happen to you as a Christian and how you may go through storms, you may go through trials. What do you want me to do, lie to you? You want want me to tell you that Miss Aldridge is up there in the hospital because she was out of the will of God. That's why she fell down the stairs. That's a lie from hell. You want me to tell you that Lisa's up there in Newnham because she's not a child of God? That's a lie from hell. I have to tell you the truth. There are painful experiences even for the child of God. When you say yes to the will of God for your life, demons of hell will be assigned to make your life miserable. Demons of hell will be assigned to distract you from doing what God is calling you to do. I told you last week, The devil fears you finding God's plan for your life. The devil fears you becoming what God wants you to be. And he'll do everything he can to keep you from finding that. You're not going to go unhindered trying to walk where God wants you to walk. Satan knows that every act of obedience in your life can destroy a thousand satanic schemes. Satan knows that when you complete something that God has given you to do, Satan at that moment is defeated and he hates it. So he's going to do everything only that God will allow. You understand that part, right? He can't do anything that God doesn't allow. So if God is allowing it to happen in your life, then it has to be for a purpose to shape you or to mold you or to make you into what God is trying to design you to be. There's no limit to the doubts that the devil will put in your mind about what God has purposed you to do. There's no limit to the things that the devil will do. There's no limit to the lies that he will tell you to discourage you. There's no limit to the people that he will put in front of you to hinder you. But if you study the life of Jesus, you'll find out they did it to him. The Pharisees tried to tear him down. They tried to discourage him. All the religious crowd wanted to tell him, tear him down, tell him that he was just a fake, that he wasn't nothing. But, but Jesus makes it very clear. I'm not here to please men. I'm not here to serve men. I'm here to do my Father's will. I'm here for the glory of my Father. I'm here to do what he would. I'm not here to be a man pleaser. I'm here to be a man savior. But to be a man savior, I got to be a father pleaser. Do what the Father wants me to do so that you and I can be saved. Jesus expected adversity. He told us to do the same. We're supposed to be a champion in the hand of God, not a wimp at the feet of the hypocrite and the critic. We're supposed to stand up for the things that God wants us to do. If we, expect, if we expect things to come against us, if we expect opposition, then we won't be surprised when it gets there. You may be surprised by who it comes through sometimes, but you won't be surprised by the critic. We shouldn't be surprised sometimes if it comes from within our own families. It did in Joseph's life. You shouldn't be surprised if it comes from some of the people that you thought were some of your best friends. That's where it was in Job's life. The devil, if y'all listening, I want you to hear this. I got a highlight on my paper. I'm going to read it. I want you to hear it. The devil is only limited in who he can use by those who refuse to let the devil use their lips to tear down God's church or God's children. Jesus, John chapter 15, he said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So something that's so important to remember is it is God's will that none should perish, but that all come to repentance, even the one that's tearing you down, even the one that the devil's using to get in your way. Whether they be saved or not, it is God's will that they get in there. God is looking for every enemy to become a child of God, no matter how bad they are, no matter how bad they've been, no matter what they're doing, God can change them. He changed you and I, didn't he? That's evidence enough for me. He changed the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul went from Saul of Tarsus, persecutor of the church, to Paul the Apostle, persecutor of hell. What God did for you and I, God can do for them. And God can use you to change them because your faith works. It's important that we expect our faith to make a difference in the lives of others. If we're not making a difference in the lives of people, we can't be walking where God's sending us. We ought to expect people to be changed. The fact that they've even noticed that there's something different about you and the fact that they have attacked you tells you that there's something in them, there's something the devil's got that fears what's going on in your life. You're a threat to them because they know where you are. It's the devil that's trying to tear you down. It's not God. It's, It's people being used by the devil trying to tear you down. It's not God. God's not looking to tear down his children. Your solution to the problem is to spend more time in the secret place. Every morning in your prayer, your solution to your problem is to spend more alone time with God. Jesus, what did He do? He separated Himself into an alone place to pray. He went into an alone place to pray. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights and prayed. Our strength, our solution is to spend more time with the Father. God's plan for your life is permanent. He's not going to change His mind. He designed you for this plan. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I already had a plan. It's not going to change. There may be different situations, but the plan never changed, and it cannot be altered by those who will persecute you and try to take you away from God's plan. Part two, but they can be altered by you. Did y'all get that part? Your plan that God has for you Cannot be altered by those who persecute you. But their life can be altered by your plan. Spend more time with God. Maintain your focus. Remember you can lose in a day what took a lifetime to build. Don't hang out with bad crowds. Withdraw from negative people. Yeah, I- I'm sorry, but let me just go ahead and plug this in and tell you. You don't have to go to work to find negative people. The four walls of every church in this town's full of them. You don't have to go to work to find a critic against you or your church or your life. You ain't got to go out on the streets or anywhere else. Withdraw from negative thinking, negative talking people. They are a drain on you. They will suck the life out of you. They're like a leech, draining and pulling. If you're hanging with people who are constantly negative about reading the Bible or negative about prayer time or negative about what's going on in the church and negative about I don't like the way this is going and negative about I don't like the music and negative about I don't like the way that's going and negative I don't like the way about the that's going. Negative because I don't like the way. If you're hanging around people who are negative, get out! Stay away from negative people. They will drain negativism on you. Don't let those people invest their negative stuff in your life. Anybody that is complaining to you about God's church or God's people is not speaking of God. Hello, I got three amens. I'm going to tell you that again because some people ain't going to like that. Anybody that is speaking negative to you about God's church or about God's people, they are not speaking with godly lips because God does not condemn his people or his church through the lips of men. Stay away from negative talking, negative breathing, negative breathing people. If you stay away and they don't have anybody to listen to, they got to go talk to somebody else or bless their heart. they got to shut up. Lord, help us. Tell people, change your attitude or change who you're talking to, but you're not going to pull me down there with you. I refuse to. To live down there in that. The devil will always send people to distract you from what God has purposed you to be. And the devil has plenty of loose-lipped people inside the four walls of God's churches. Christian or not, that's not my call to make. But if you insist on building your life around the plan that God has for you, wrong people will pull away from you. You won't have to pull away from them. Wrong relationships will get away from you. You won't have to get away from them. Spend more time with God, and you will easily recognize those who aren't speaking godly. Yes, God, tell me, tell, say that again. What you say. What you say. say it again. Spend more time with God, and you will easily recognize those who aren't speaking godly. The more time you spend alone with God. You, you want to know your plan? Anybody want to know your plan? Anybody want to know what God has for you to do? Anybody want to know your purpose for your life? Do, do you believe, tell me this, right? do you believe that God has a plan for your life? Raise your hand. Do you believe that God has a purpose, a design plan for your life? Do you believe that? Do you believe that for the foundations of the world, God already designed who you would be? Do you believe that you're no different than the prophet Jeremiah? If they said, if I knew Jeremiah in the womb, that he had to know you. So none of us are a cosmic accident. Every one of us believes that God has a plan for our life. Do you want to know the plan? There's only one way that you can know the plan, and that is to talk to the planner. There's only one way to become the design, and that is to let the designer shape you. Clay in the hands of the potter. There's only one way to become everything that God has called you to be, and that is to spend time alone with the one who knows what he wants you to be. And the devil, all he wants to do is put people in your ears to tell you everything. Thing else. You're not good enough. You're not close enough. You're a goody-two-shoes. You're a holy roller. Whatever they want to do to try to tear you down and pull you back, the devil will use stuff to distract you from becoming what God wants you to be. If you want to overcome the devil, spend time with the Father. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So sometimes it just comes down to a choice. Are you going to sit there and listen to the negative stuff? Or are you just going to say, have a great day? I'm going to go pray for a while. You go do what you want to do. And you go to your own place and pray. People will complain as long as you'll let them. Can I tell you something? While we're on time, do you know God did not give you one friend? God didn't give you a friend. God didn't give you a friend. God didn't give you a friend. God did not give anybody in here a friend. God gave you time. And you invested time into certain people so certain people became your friend. Time is the gift. Time is the currency of this world. Mexico's got its pesos and Costa Rica's got their colones. America's got their almighty dollar. It ain't worth two cents at the end of the day. The economy of this world is time. God gave you time and what you're doing with your time is what God's going to judge you on. God didn't give you any money. We talk about how God's given us these blessings and we give back a portion. We give back 10%. God did not give you the money. God gave you time and God gave you health to work. You took your healthy body and you worked for somebody else and they gave you money. And God said, because I gave you the time and the health, the first 10% of that's mine. That's right. So give back to God what he's given to you. God didn't give you worldly things. He could care less about worldly stuff. He gave you time. And the time on this earth is to be used for His glory, in His purpose, in His honor, so that those people that are on their way to hell can go to heaven because we invest time into them. You can't invest time into a world and change them until you have invested time with the Father and let Him change you. You don't have the power in you to change anybody else until you've spent time with the power that comes. That power fills up inside of you and swells up. Now you're ready to go out. We're all in a preparation season of some kind. Nobody has arrived yet unless you're looking at the face of Jesus. If that's the case, somebody take your pulse. The time you've got left is to be used of God. I doubt that any one of us feel like we are exactly where God wants us to be. I know there's more. I, I believe there's some people out there that are on the way to hell and that God designed me to talk to them. Those times when you look and say, I don't have time for that right now, God. That might have been their chance. That might have been their chance. Go ahead and stand this morning. There's only one way to know God's will for our life, and it's in prayer. It's in prayer. If we really want to know God's perfect will for our life, you're not going to get it just right here, but this is a great place to start. The altar is always a great place to talk to God. But this can't be the only place we talk to God. This can't be a one-stop shop. The altar is something that we do on a regular basis, and the altar is amazing. It's the place where two or more gather together in His name, and there He's in the midst of it. I love the altar. But you've got to have an altar on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning. Your car seat ought to be an altar. What better things have you got to do while driving, other than watch for other people? But be in prayer. I'm going to ask you if you want to take a few minutes and pray that God would show you His perfect plan. Some of you, I know. I've talked to you. I I know that you know God has something for your life. I know you know that. I know you're seeking so hard on what God wants you to do. I know know some of you are called to teach. I know some of you are called to preach. I know some of you are, are called to study. Some of you are called to learn. Listen, if you're called to teach then just teach when God opens the door. If you're called to preach, preach when God opens the door. If you're ever called to pastor, God will show you the church. You won't have to go looking for it. If you're ever called into the mission field, God will tell you the place. You won't have to go searching for it. Just do what God tells you to do right now. If it's study, then just study. But on every single day, regardless, prayer is the key. Prayer is a necessity every single day. To find God, what do you want me to do today? Don't worry about tomorrow. You got through Sunday yet? Don't we? You you can't plan all of next year on Monday morning. You can put out a schedule. You can put out a calendar. You can put out events of things that you want to do. But you can't plan 365 days of your life in one day because God's not going to give it to you that way. One day at a time, God will tell you what He wants from you today. Serve Him today. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. We don't have to worry about anything else. Let me ask you real quick. If there's anybody in this place that you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's your first order of business. First order of business. It is God's will, God's plan for your life that you be saved. It is not God's will that any should perish, that includes you. But that all should come to repentance, that includes you. It is not God's will for you to go to hell. If you go to hell, you'll go there by your choice against God's will. If there's anybody this morning who's never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can change all that this morning. God, I confess that I'm a sinner. There must be a confession. I'm asking you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins and save my soul. Those aren't magic words you just get to say and go on living like the devil. No, that's a heart. That's a change. That's surrendering everything to God. That's saying, God, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of living in the world. I want to be what you want me to be. And I'm asking you now to forgive me of my sins and save my soul in Jesus' name. If you're willing to give your heart to Christ, and asking that in prayer and say, I want you to be Savior and Lord of my life. You're asking that, you're just as much a child of God as anybody in this place right now. Not because of works, lest any man should boast, but because of what Christ did for us and because you trusted in that gift. funny funny when you're witnessing the people and they say things just like you used to would have said do you ever hear yourself in them do you ever hear yourself in their answers before you got saved man I don't do that right now I just want to have fun too many things left in life I want to do I ain't ready for that right now. You ever hear yourself in that stuff? You ever remember when you were there? Isn't it crazy how dumb we were? Isn't it crazy how foolish we were? We thought we were having fun. Woke up sick as a dog the next morning. I never knew joy till I met Jesus Christ. I never had a good time until I got saved. I had what I thought was a good time. You know why? Because the world and the devil was lying to me and telling me I was having fun. How many of you is fun to throw up? How many of you is fun to have a headache? But yet you know that's going to be the result. And people still go out and get drunk knowing that's what it's going to be. And the devil makes them believe they had a good time. I never had a good time. Till I woke up knowing if I died, I was going to heaven. I never had a good time till I knew I wasn't going to hell anymore. I never had a good time until I knew all my sins was washed away and that old things were passed away. And behold, all things had become new. I thought I had some good times growing up. But I know I had a good time when I met Jesus. And I'm telling you, there's not a better good time in this life than finding God's will for your life. It makes the storms calmer, makes the valleys shallower and the mountains lower. The mountains are still there, the valleys, the storms, the trials are still there, but God holds our hand every step of the way. There's not a better place on this planet than the center of God's perfect will for our life. God, help us find it. God, thank you so much for loving us the way that you do, God. Lord, thank you for your patience and your long-suffering. Thank you, God, for saving an old sinner like me. Thank you, God, for loving me in spite of me. Thank you for this precious book, God. Thank you for this word, Lord, given to, you by your own, given to us by your own mouth to teach us and train us up. Thank you that you have a plan for our lives. Thank you that you have a will. Thank you that you're even mindful of us. God, I pray for everybody standing in this place right now. I pray your Holy Spirit would touch everybody in this building, everybody within the sound of my voice. God, I pray that you'd touch them. I pray you'd help each one of them find that place called the center of your perfect will. Be exactly what you want them to be, God, that we might find the joy that you have set there for us. God, I pray you'd bless their families and their homes. Put a hedge of protection about them, God. I pray everybody in this place that you protect their families and all that's there. Keep the fiery darts of the enemy away from them, God. Pray you protect them all around. Help us to be pleasing to you in all we do. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.